I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. First God created heaven and earth. The earth was unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God sweeping over the water. This opening verse of Genesis describes the initial creation of the universe, which is dark and chaotic, and it describes a darkness over the face of the deep. And the word that's translated here as deep is tehom in Hebrew. And from the early days of biblical criticism in the 19th century, scholars have pointed out the connection between this word tehom and the name of the Mesopotamian uh, mother goddess or sea monster whose name was Tiamat in the Babylonian creation epic. In this week's episode, I'm joined by my friend Kelly Hava, who is a fellow student at Harvard Divinity School. And we were together in Kimberly Patton's class on trees and world religion this sem- this past semester. And she had some really interesting things to say when we were looking at Genesis and the creation of, I guess, the origins of human sexuality and the creation of the human family tree. And so uh, I asked her on this week, and we talked about Tehom and Tiamat and motherhood and violence, birth and death and reincarnation. And as always, I enjoyed our conversation immensely, and I hope you do too. Okay, so tell me about water and birthing in Genesis. Like, what are, what are your thoughts about that then? Yeah, so like the way that I, what I was really interested in is the way in which Tiamat, who's like the Babylonian goddess, right, from the Enoma Elish, how her body is described as being like torn apart by the god Marduk when he um, creates the world. So he creates the world from her body, creates earth and sky. And he's her son, right? Yes. Yep. I believe so. Um, And so I was really interested in that because when I first read it, I was like, wow, like that sounds really sexually violent to me. Like that was my immediate response. Um, And then I learned that Tiamat is a linguistic um, relative of the Tehom that appears in Genesis and was like, wow, and started to have a lot of curiosity about what happens to the Tehom. Like, are we to assume that God has already vanquished the Tehom before Genesis begins because the Tehom is just kind of hanging out like prior to creation. Um, And basically it just talks about um, God's voice murmuring over the face of the Tehom or the deep is usually how it's translated. Um, I've heard some Jewish scholars translate it as the murmuring deep, which I love even more um, because they say that the root of the word um, kind of suggests like a kind of like underwater like noise almost mm-hmm. um so, so that's that was interesting. that was like the initial state of the universe before god started creating exactly. is the word and it uses the word tehom yes yeah which the root of which um seems to be like a linguistic relative of tiamat which made me think oh like what if this is in a sense like tiamat like like it seems to be like a little bit of hybridity going on in terms of establishing some continuity with the babylonian context yeah. you know what i mean yeah um and so and then i started thinking like this is really fascinating like in what parts of the tanakh like is god dealing with water you know what i mean like is there any kind of um direct engagement in terms of like creating or splitting or 
and then I started thinking about Exodus. You know, I started thinking about the Red Sea and I started thinking about like what seemed to me like the kind of boldly sexual like metaphor of Moses, like, you know, placing his staff into the water and it's splitting, you know, and the people kind of moving through these like waters of the Red Sea. <laughs> wow, I never thought about you know? that before of like a like a birth because that's the moment that the uh, uh, Israel people Israelite people come to have their identity. Yes, they, they separate exactly. from they separate from Egypt. Exactly, and if you think too, like I've been really um, most compelled uh, with thinking of birth in terms of uh, both its destructiveness and its creativeness, kind yeah. of like dually you know and kind of like and everything in between those as opposed to just being like it's generative it's life affirming um and so i think that the red sea splitting like also has that because you see the rebirth of the israelites but at the same time the egyptian soldiers are you know totally vanquished in the water right i mean when the water you know the sea opens and then when it closes um it's you know i think we're to assume and we're told that it kills you know, the Egyptians who run in after the Israelites. So, so it's kind of this like necessary violence, um, that allows for the rebirth, you know? Um, and it all is taking place in this kind of womb, like waters of the Red Sea, you know? So, so that really interested me. And I also became really interested too, in, in going back to the story of Tiamat and thinking, hmm, like, what if the sexually violent, the language that at first struck me as sexually violent, you know, the tearing and splitting, of Tiamat's body to create the universe, I started thinking, what if that's also the language of birthing, right? Because yeah. if you think about it, like birthing also involves like a sort of, in some sense, like forced separation, right? Of, of the maternal body. It's sort of, uh, even in the best case scenario, it's often almost always like traumatic, like violent, you know, can leave like uh, so, like a decreation of sorts in a way, you know, well, yeah. um, in order to create. Um, so I was thinking about, wow, like, what if we read that Tiamat story as a kind of birth narrative? I mean, not entirely. And I found it even more interesting, right, that a lot of these like cosmologies, at least the Near Eastern ones, seem to like not have not imagined God like in any kind of like reproductive or kind of birthing role. Right. It's kind of like an asexual creation process. And I was, you know, it's like very much like eliding the role of the mother, you know, or of, of like the sort of the maternal in generating life. And I thought like, wow, obviously this is a huge and insulting elision. Um, and then I realized, but it's kind of still there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if we read it in this way, I don't think intentionally, but I think that there's a way in which creation like can't totally be imagined in these contexts, like without that. You know what I mean? Because you do have like that splitting of the feminized body of water. You know what I mean? Um, that is, I think, both like traumatic and affirming in terms of like that's how the world is generated. It's exploitative in a sense, of course, as well. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so these questions are kind of like circling my brain. Um, well, yeah, in and this moment. it's also interesting to consider that, uh, like, like uh, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm seeing this uh, sort of twin joint concepts of, of birth and death, uh, where um, hmm. it's not only killing the mother that generates life, but also, you know, the, splitting the sea of reeds. It, it, it's, it's a rebirth for the 
Hebrew people, but it's death for the Egyptians, you know? Yes. And, and then there's yep. also the flood with Noah, where the whole creation mm-hmm. that started in the beginning comes to an end in water the same way yes. it started. Wow. Wow. I love that. And you also, even with Noah, like you have the sexual element, right? Because the whole point is with the animals in pairs and Noah and his, you know, sons in pairs with their, you know, wives or whatever. It's like, yeah, right. So that they can reproduce like a new world, you know, once they land, um, like one of each species is sort of, is sort of the idea. So, oh, I love that. That's fascinating. Well, I, I wonder um, also if yeah. you've, uh, um, ever encountered like Jewish mystical ideas about reincarnation it's mm, I'm not super familiar but I'd love to yeah like, it's, love I mean to hear about I, it, it is a relatively obscure topic I guess I mean mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something that mm-hmm. the Kabbalists believe in and uh mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm generally pretty surprised at how little it's talked about because like the, hmm. the you know the books are out there like on uh, uh isaac luria in in the his big work of you know teachings of of kabbalah is is the etzhaim the tree of life and um hmm. one of hmm. it, it consists of eight books and one of the books is they're all called gates and each, one of the gates is the gates of uh. the, the gate of reincarnation that talks all about hmm. Gilgalim, which is like Gilgal is the Hebrew word for reincarnation, but it also just means cycle. You know? Wow. Yeah. Like uh, uh, the word comes up hmm. a lot in, in the book hmm. of Jonah. Here, Jonah is another, uh, uh, hmm. in, you know, interesting story with that, uh, continuing this water theme too of, of uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 him being swallowed uh, in, mm. the, in the body of the sea monster as like a metaphor of you know going to the bottom of the sea as like a, an experience of wow. death and the word the word yes. the word gilgal is all over this mm. uh uh this book too wow mm. oh that's fascinating and also recalls tiamat who's actually described not just as a goddess but as a monster like a sea monster oh yeah um which is, that's so interesting. And oh, and another thing I was thinking with water is the Exodus, the beginning of Exodus with Moses, baby Moses in the water, right? Like that's how he's delivered in the basket um, through the water. Um, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and there's something funny going on with moms in that story too, that like Hmm. his mom puts him by the river because she's been mm-hmm. ordered to kill him, but she doesn't want to. And so he's saved mm-hmm. by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, who then mm-hmm. hires his mom to come and nurse him in the... Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, like, some really weird playing going on with, like, moms and, and dads and uh, uh, life and death in that story, yeah? Yeah. Ooh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's that's fun. There's so much to play with, you yeah. know. Um, <laughs> wow, I love that. So, what can you say a little bit more about the reincarnation thing? That's interesting. So it's like we yeah. cycle through yeah. bodies, or yeah, the idea is that there are what 613 mitzvot, right? Like uh, right. Uh, uh, righteous deeds that uh, a Jew is supposed to perform and actually are, are they all things that you're supposed to do or are some of them things you're not supposed to do like avoid doing it's a combination no. of both or uh ooh, i don't know one I, way or the other i'm not yeah. sure 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's the there's the sixteen the six hundred thirteen mitzvot, and if you don't complete them in one lifetime, the idea is that uh, uh, you're reincarnated, and mm. you have a certain number of opportunities to perform them all, and then once all of uh, the uh, mitzvot are complete and your soul is perfected, then you don't have mm. to reincarnate anymore. Oh wow. Interesting. So it's like the reincarnation has a almost like you need to keep learning. You need to keep yeah. kind of like bettering yourself rather than like it's an inherent like reward or kind of a thing that happens with all bodies or all souls. Yeah. Hmm. And again, like this, these, the, the it's from a very different world. Um, mm. You know, I think these this book, these ideas kind of came out in the Middle Ages, and the idea, the idea like in Isaac Luria's writing is that women don't have to be reincarnated; that it's just the husbands who are reincarnated, and then the man and the wife together will go mm. will, will go to heaven in the end. But I've mentioned that oh. to, I've mentioned that to some of. Uh, uh, like my f- friends in Hasidic communities who say, no, absolutely. That's not true. That women are reincarnated oh. also. Okay. So it's like, is this is like such a tiny, small corner of Jewish mysticism that like people just don't seem to have, be very interested in. Huh? And I don't, wow. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Especially since I feel like there's like such like a sexiness, like culturally around like reincarnation, you know what I mean? In like Eastern, uh, in Eastern systems, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So it's funny that, you know, that it hasn't been picked up more, uh, in Judaism. It's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. And if you look at the, uh, the Torah and, you know, the, the Hebrew Bible more broadly, like, I do think there is a way to, uh, read it as a story about, it's definitely about cycles in in, yes. in history and in, in Jewish right. history specifically. And mm-hmm. uh, if you put those two ideas together of like the cycles that are certainly there and mm. reading that as a form of reincarnation, you know, I, I guess the idea mm. is that um, yeah, I'm 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 I, like I'm kind of just like developing these ideas as I'm as I'm saying mm-hmm. them. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's this idea in The, is, is it later? Is it is it in the prophets? Like the uh, God's relationship with Israel changes over time. Where at first it seems very parent, mm. parental, but at a certain yeah. juncture of I guess maturity, Israel starts mm. to be portrayed as the wife of God. Yeah, and then yeah. Um, by the end of Isaiah, uh, God is saying. Um, there, there's, the, you know, I was just talking about the idea of Jewish chosenness and what it means that Jews mm. are God's chosen people. And the mm. idea in Isaiah is that uh, the understanding there is that Jews were uh, chosen to be God's priests, but the idea, mm. the, the end goal is for all of humanity to be priests of God. Uh, mm. And 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 that uh, idea is very prominent at what in Isaiah 66, I think. Um, mm. 
But I was just reading this passage for that reason, and I realized there's a lot of birthing metaphors going on there. And uh, mm. uh, the, so the implication is that over this long progression <clears throat> of history, as uh, uh, Israel grew up and then became, uh, you know, God's wife, that actually she gives birth in the end. Mm. And wow. I think that what she gives birth to is mm. the Messiah. Uh, hmm. And that wow, uh, hmm, like the messianic line or the actual messiah, the actual messiah, wow, who then you know, not immediately but over mm. a, a long period of time, um, brings about the, the the that messianic era where all of humanity is, uh, uh, hmm. servants of God. Wow. Wow. That's really a fascinating way to think about it. It's just like coming out as I'm saying these things. Like, this is stuff I'm thinking about right now and reading about Mm. right now, and I've never really articulated it before. Oh, wow. Another place you might want to look, I don't know how related this is, but it feels like somehow connected, is I'm remembering in um, my Intro to Hebrew Bible class, um, Professor Teeter, like, spoke about um, the way in which... Um, if you remember the story of Lot's daughters, mm-hmm. how um, they decide, like they decide on their own, like we need to have children, um, and so they get him super drunk, yeah. and they basically have sex with him without his consent while yeah. he's like wasted. And and actually, I remember Professor Teeter pointing out that I forget which of his daughters, but one of his daughters, the child from that coupling. Um, be, forms the beginning of the Davidic line. Really? Yeah. And Ruth um, is another one who, like, he's a, Ruth is a part of that lineage, and Ruth and Boaz, I believe, like, are the next kind of, like, big coupling that's, like, directly in the David lineage. And I remember thinking, like, that's really fascinating, like, for many reasons. Like, one is because, like, in the case of Ruth, like, you have, like, someone who isn't, like, an Israelite you know, who's like kind of this like exemplary figure who's like genetically linked to David and the messianic line. And the second piece is obviously like you have like, you know, the kind of savior messiah line also coming out of, you know, as what one could call a sexual assault, you know, a sort of like that that is also portrayed, I think, in kind of like in somewhat noble terms, right? And like, this is what they had to do because he wasn't fulfilling whatever obligation, you know, to like, you know, to father a child or um, to provide them with husbands or, you know. I do. I don't, I don't remember the logic that went into it, but I do remember that the Mm -hmm. rabbi's uh, uh, interpretation of that uh, is that they did the right thing and that it wasn't, it wasn't a sin. Yeah. 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 Which is like another interesting thing to play with, especially because of, the way that Lot kind of offers his daughters, if you, you know what I mean, like to be like, you know, like raped by whoever, um, by the guests of the town, if you remember. Yeah. Um, this isn't <laughs> the story of Sodom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, so so yeah, so that's like a lot of really interesting, like kind of uh, added complications, you know, to the idea of like the messianic line and like who's a part of that and the chosenness of Jews or Israelites versus like a character like Ruth or um, even like Zipporah or, you know, some of these like really important characters throughout the Hebrew Bible who are 
not Jewish or not Israelites um, or convert, um, you know, in, in the narrative, which is, yeah, I've always thought like that's such an interesting way of like kind of digging at that like interfaith, like kind of Jewish, like kind of um, more like tribalism type of, uh, type, you know, way of approaching what it means to be Jewish and, and sort of thinking, does the text support that? I mean, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. <laughs> you know what do you mean it does it does it support what i mean does the text support like a really like jews are like the chosen ones of god like exclusively and that like the like most noble characters like are they always the israelite ones are the you know non-israelite characters portrayed like as only as like outsiders like to be avoided like and the answer is like no right i mean in, in some stories yes of course, like there's a real anxiety about that throughout the Hebrew Bible, but in other stories, like def you know what I mean? Like, like, no, like a lot of times, like the non-Israelite characters, like an exemplary figure, think of Jethro, you know, as an, as another example, um, you know, Zipporah's father who, um, you know, kind of helps Moses, um, prepare for his role and is sort of portrayed as like a, um, the word, like a leader worth emulating. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, I think, that's what I love um, perhaps most deeply about the Hebrew Bible. What I really like have like gone through and studied it carefully is just like many of the things that I thought I would not find in there. Like, for instance, like a more like expansive view of like what it means to be like prophetic or, you know, Jewish or, um, you know, et cetera. Uh, it's there. You know, I mean, the other stuff is there, too. You know, they kind of the pieces that um, have been taken up more, you know, more normatively, but, um, but a lot, you know, there's a lot like under the surface that challenges that kind of like, even that basic idea of chosenness, like in the sort of most literal interpretation, you know? Shiva 